0: Welcome to the Confident Money Podcast, where we talk money, finances, and accounting for real people without all the technical jargon, patronizing, and gatekeeping. I'm your host, Caitlin Magnuson, and I'm going to be your new finance bestie. Hey, welcome back to the Confident Money Podcast. My name is Caitlin Magnuson, and I'm your host. We are going to be doing a mini season with Kyle Seagraves. Kyle Seagraves is a certified mortgage advisor, licensed loan originator, and the owner of Win the House You Love a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. And I couldn't be more excited to have him here helping you all understand the ins and outs of the mortgage industry as it is now and home buying. So Kyle, welcome. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Caitlin. I am excited to go through this series because uh, so much of home buying, I think is maybe not intentionally confusing on purpose but it can be really confusing and overwhelming. And it's nice to break things down into uh, kind of different sections or step-by-step through the process. help people feel more confident as they work through it
0: absolutely i couldn't agree more and having bought a house right after the last recession i know that things have changed a lot in that time because i then purchased (laughs) again in 2019 and it was a very different ball game i think it's really different even now just a couple of years later so very excited we're going to be talking in this episode about credit and the ins and the outs of what you kind of need to know what credit scores are what the ranges are scoring models soft pulls and hard pulls so Kyle, I'm going to just let you take the stage here. Let's dive face first into credit, which I know a lot of our listeners are probably like, oh God, I don't even know. And like, what if the models aren't accurate? What if I'm not looking at the right information? What do I do? So let's start with what credit scores are and how to go about finding them.
1: Yeah. So a credit score, first of all, is just a model and there's several different types of models, but it's basically just this algorithm that takes into account your financial history based on when people give you debt. So things like a credit card or a car loan or uh, student loans, different things like that. And so there are three different credit scores that every single person has. Uh, you have one with Experian, one with Equifax, and one with TransUnion. So three different credit bureaus as they're called. and there's different types of scoring models that lenders will use before they approve you for a loan. So for instance, a car dealership is going to look at one type of model. A mortgage lender is going to look at another type. A credit card company is going to look at another type. And unfortunately, it's complex and confusing, and I wish it was more simple. But ultimately, you don't have to be a credit master to get approved for a loan that's going to save you more money and interest All we need to do is keep a couple things in mind to make sure that our credit is on track to buy a home. And if it's off track, there's a couple things we can do to get a little bit back on uh, the right track. So really, the the first thing that you want to do is begin getting a good idea of where you're at with your credit to begin with. And so this is where people commonly will go to something like uh, Credit Karma or Credit Sesame, and they'll see their score online for free. Um, And usually they're only gonna show you one score. Often it's Experian, and it's used with what's called a Vantage scoring model. So there's two big scoring models. There's uh, Vantage and there's FICO. Vantage is commonly used in the auto world. FICO is what's used in the mortgage world. Now inside of each of those, there's several different Vantage scores, several different FICOs, and ultimately you don't have to know them. You don't have to understand what score is being used, but it's helpful. Uh, to understand first that there is a difference between these models. And so what you see on something like Credit Karma is going to be different than what a mortgage lender might see with your credit score. And these different scoring models just look at uh, things a little bit differently. For instance, FICO might look at your payment history differently than Vantage Score might. Vantage Score might look at your average age of credit history uh, than FICO might. So when we're looking at these sites that have your credit score, like Credit Karma or anything that's available online for free, you're going to be getting what's called a soft pull credit score. Now, a soft pull means that this will not impact your credit score at all. So you can log on, look at your score for free um, and have zero impact to your credit at all. It will not create an inquiry, meaning someone checked your credit score. That will not happen. When you apply for something like an auto loan or a credit card or a mortgage, you get what's called a hard inquiry. And this is where a lender looks at your full credit profile uh, and it actually puts on a little inquiry onto your credit report. Now, inquiries only impact 10% of your credit score. So it's not the end of the world. The sky's not gonna fall just because you got an inquiry put on your credit report, even though I think a lot of people teach that for some reason, like uh, if you get an inquiry, it's the worst thing in the world. It really is not. But um, those are the really the big things that we need to know about credit as we're going through this process, you don't have to understand the models and the intricacies. We don't have to try to game the system. You can go really deep into credit and figure out how these algorithms work and try to game them to get higher and higher and higher. But ultimately when, when we're going from just trying to optimize your credit to buy a house, you don't have to understand the deep complexity of credit. If you're wanting to go from like a 720 credit score to like an 820 credit score, then maybe we need to get in the weeds a little bit more about like how did the strategies work? But if we're just trying to say, we think we're in the mid 600s, but we want to buy a home, we don't really need to understand the intricacies here. So the confusing part for a lot of people though, is that when they log on to credit karma, they see their soft pull credit score and they only see one, but then they talk to a lender and that credit score likely is going to be different than what they saw in credit karma. And often it usually ends up being around 20 points lower that a mortgage lender will see your credit score than what they see on Credit Karma. And so what we can use Credit Karma for is, or any soft pull site, is tracking the momentum of the credit score. We don't actually care about the number specifically, whether it's a 620 or a 634 or whatever that number exactly is. We just wanna see are the habits that we're doing with paying back debt and spending money increasing the credit score or lowering it? Because we obviously want that to continue increasing if that's uh, where we need to be
0: hey if you're enjoying the show make sure you subscribe and join our community at confidentmoneypodcast.com where we share resources and all of the money happenings plus you can send feedback and suggestions for what you'd like to see covered in future episodes that's confidentmoneypodcast.com okay back to the show Now, for anyone here that's listening, Kyle, what's the whole reason for them to be increasing or improving their credit score? You know, what's the impact to them when it comes to their mortgage?
1: Yeah, the first thing is being eligible to get a loan. So all different loans have different minimum credit scores just to be eligible. And then after we're eligible for a loan, uh, the higher the credit score that we have, the easier it is to get approved and the better terms that we're going to get. So somebody with a 620 credit score is going to get a higher interest rate on their loan than somebody with a 720 credit score. Now that adds up to thousands, possibly tens of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of a mortgage. So just making small changes, even over the next six months to increase your credit score could literally save you tens of thousands of dollars just in interest. So with the eligibility side of saying, how do we qualify for a loan? Um, there are four main types of loans, and we're going to cover that in a, a future episode, some, a little more in detail of these types of loans. But we have conventional loans, FHA, VA, and USDA. So the minimum for a conventional loan, this is the standard what most people get uh, and gives the best terms, is a 620 credit score. So we need to be above a 620. Ideally, with a conventional loan, you want to be above a 680 to get better interest rates, but 620 will allow you to be eligible for that loan. Something like FHA the minimum is actually all the way down to a 500 credit score, but you would have to put 10% down, which is usually a bit of a struggle. If you have a 580 credit score, you can do three and a half percent down. VA and USDA also very similar. They allow down to a 500 credit score with 0% down. Now, obviously 500 credit score in that range below 600, that loan is very difficult to do, and it's difficult to find lenders that will do that. So. A really good target, I think for most people, is a 640. 640 and above is going to allow you to be eligible for pretty much all those four loans. Um, There's a couple outside of those four that get a little bit more nuanced, but 640 and above will allow you to qualify for the four main types of loans. And will start giving you better terms. Obviously, the higher the credit score, the better. One of the things that uh, I think people can get stopped up with is they won't move forward with buying a house because they might be at that 640 range. And they're like, well, we wanna actually wait a few months to raise our credit score to 720 or whatever to then buy a house. The problem with that though, especially in a market like this, is when homes are appreciating so quickly, right? Over past 30 years, 4% is the average appreciation. Over the past three years, we've been seeing close to 20 to 30% appreciation on homes. When that's happening, missing out on buying a home forces you to lose out on that potential appreciation. So even though you could have saved more interest in the future, you did miss out on some appreciation. So I think 640 is a really good target to then say, great, now we want to go ahead and apply with a lender and see what our options are to then begin to decide if we want to move forward with that.
0: Okay, no, that makes total sense. And if someone is looking to move forward and let's say they've been checking you know i know that Wells fargo provides me with a credit monitoring option and it can kind of show me where i'm fluctuating and what it looks like so in what you just explained if they're generally generally looking at around 20 points lower when there's a hard pull are we actually wanting them if they're tracking their score and looking at that soft pull are they wanting to be closer to 660 give or take to then be in the 640 range
1: yeah. I think that's, that's a perfect way to look at it. And really it's, it's hard. I wish credit was a lot simpler where we could actually see that score. And it, it wasn't as, you know, these different models and such, because, you know, for example, like my credit score is in the 700s and I, I just applied for a mortgage. But when I look on soft pole sites, it sits at like 680 when I know my credit score is like mid 700s. So it has actually the opposite.
0: Mine is in- as well. I was surprised that you said it's normally lower because mine has always been lower on the soft pulls and higher on the hard pulls, which is a pleasant surprise, right?
1: It is a pleasant surprise. And so you know that at minimum, if we, on the soft pull side, it's where we want it. Ideally, it's going to be that way for the mortgage side. Um, And that's why I think the soft pull side, those free sites are really great at tracking the momentum rather than the score itself. There's only one place that you can get your credit score uh, that shows you exactly what the lender would pull. And that's on myfico.com because that's actually the FICO company that creates the scoring models to be able to do that. But ultimately, like, don't feel like you're in the dark with this and it has to be a guessing game. You can apply with a mortgage lender for free, go through the pre-approval process, or even just talk to somebody and say, I'm interested in what my credit is. Could you pull it? It happens for free. You will get an inquiry on your score. But an in inquiry, most people don't realize, only changes your score zero to five points. So worst case scenario, it would drop at five points, and you actually have 45 days to shop for lenders after that. So if you're at the point where you're like, I'm close, but I'm on the line, and I'm not sure, go ahead and talk with a mortgage lender and have them see what your actual score would be that they would use, um, because the cost of doing that is so low compared to waiting longer and longer just because you aren't sure how your soft score will relate to your hard score.
0: Right. And I think the more knowledge you can have here, definitely the more power that you have to make, you know, empowered decisions. And with that, I know that a lot of the clients that I chat with and a lot of the listeners here have raised concerns that, you know, maybe they're following Dave Ramsey, or maybe they just had that drilled into their head because we're millennials and we love avocado toast and how dare we be buying lattes. But that we shouldn't have debt. You know, debt is horrible, debt is a bad thing, with the exception sometimes of home loans or mortgages. But with that, I know a lot of people that I chat with are concerned that they have to have all of their student loans paid off, all of their credit card debt gone, you know, all of their car loans paid off. So when it comes to, you know, looking to apply for a mortgage or qualify, do they need to be debt free when they're coming in? You know, how does that factor in?
1: Yeah. So I think with any financial decision, one of the best places to start is internally because there's so much emotionally packed into the decisions we're making about finance because they're usually not logical. And based on numbers, they're actually built on a lot of shame. So a lot of people have shamed us into making should statements about our finances. So anytime you start with evaluating, what should I do next with my finances? And it starts with, I should be doing this. Let's take just a like maybe a day or two to see where, where did I hear that? Is this rooted in a level of shame coming with it? Because things like I should be debt-free before I buy a house isn't really based on a lot of logic or financial data, it's based in a lot of shame around, oh, I shouldn't have debt. Okay, the should, let me figure out where did the should come from, and is that actually true? So you absolutely can qualify for a loan and be really successful financially with student loans, with auto loans, with a mortgage, and with credit card debt. Absolutely possible, and possible to be financially successful with those as well. Now, then it comes down to a matter of preference. Are these the things that I want? That's a different conversation. You can have a preference of saying, I don't want to have this type of debt. For me, I think what is best is the only debt that I am hesitant about people having before they buy a house is if they have a credit card with a large balance that they can't pay off. If you have a credit card that's sitting probably close to like 20 to 25% interest, even if it's a 10, 15. These are really high interest payments. And it's not a credit card that you're using for points and paying off cyclically if you're if it's like continuing to grow. To me, it's not only is the cost of that credit card going to be significant, and we could use money to pay that down, but it also can be an indication of maybe uh where we're at financially, um, we're not ready to take on all the other costs of buying a house. So that's the only instance in which I would say if you have credit card debt that keeps accumulating, maybe we look at addressing that before we then start to look at buying a house.
0: Right, which makes total sense because that can speak to the general financial situation, not the credit card debt itself being bad, but the reason behind why there's increasing or credit card debt that's just sitting there stagnant, not getting paid off, which makes complete sense because it shows that maybe you're not making enough or maybe you have money going out in other directions or you're just not quite comfortable financially with where you are right now. I'm a really big proponent. I bought our current house with a car loan, no student loans, but a car loan, some credit card debt, and don't regret it. Like, debt's just a tool for me.
1: Right, absolutely. Yeah, and it's the same for me. Like, I have student loans, I have an auto loan, uh, I have credit card debt that I pay off every single month, but it doesn't continue to sit there and grow. And I, I think, too, with buying a house, you're responsible for the cost of that as well. So if something with happens with your furnace, even just the general cost of moving into a home, uh, if you're looking at you know, changing locks and handles and fixtures and paint and everything else that goes with it, you don't want to start putting all those expenses on a credit card. If you're already using a credit card to pay for just the general cost of life, uh, it's just going to continue to grow that problem if I have to pay interest on all the things that I'm doing with buying this house.
0: Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. So, And I really loved your point that you brought about the shoulds. I think sitting and taking a second to really assess, you know, we have all those limiting beliefs or all those ingrained beliefs that will pop up, you know, from family, from the media, from people we followed, from anything. And what do you actually want? Because if something's not actually bothering you or actually hindering you, and it's just you feeling this shame or this guilt or this lack around, well, I should be doing that. I should be, you know, the... Yeah but what do you actually want what matters to you what's important to you and if the you know if you're in a spot I think that so many people when I bought my first house I was shocked at how quickly I could buy I was a 19 year old kid with you know a bunch of jobs and like had to pull alternative actually I wanted to talk about that I had to pull alternative credit sources because I was 19 and I had like 2 years of credit history I don't know how much experience you have with this Kyle but for anyone that's younger that's listening or maybe they've been debt free for years and they don't have established credit cards or they don't have, you know, a lot of credit history. What options are there for people that need alternative sources of credit to prove creditworthiness?
1: Yeah. So on a conventional loan, the ideal, and, and we can get into this more when we talk about uh, you know the different loan types, but the ideal is to have a two-year history of credit. Um, I've done quite a few loans for people where they are 18, 19, and they, you know, they just recently got a credit card or maybe they only have a couple. Uh, they have one credit card, and that's about it. <laughs> and I'll look at it and be like, okay, this is what we would call a thin credit profile. FHA loans are going to be a lot more lenient on things like that, whereas conventional loans usually want a two-year history, and usually it works best if you have two to three different types of accounts, so maybe a couple of credit cards, um, and then maybe you have your rent reported on your credit report. Um, which is really helpful to do. So in those instances with somebody who has a thin credit profile, there's a couple different options. One is you can look at something like an FHA loan. FHA loans are usually more expensive long-term, so it's not my first option. Uh, You could look at adding a co-borrower, so somebody with um, more credit history that could be added on the loan to help support the fact that uh, there's a backup plan if needed. Another thing is what are called trade lines or alternative credit, like you mentioned. And what these are is uh, things that aren't reported on your credit report, but they do show that you can pay stuff on time. So these are things like utility bills, um, your rental history, uh, insurance payments. If you can prove that those have been paid over something like 12 months on time, then those can be added into your credit profile as an additional trade line. It's just not reported on your credit report. The only issue here is that when we do that, we get into what's called manual underwriting. And usually you have a higher interest rate that's going to be paid on that because it's more risky. Most loans, the way that they're given an approval is actually through a computer software. Uh, A loan officer is going to take your whole application, put it into a software. It's going to do all of its thousands of different data points on, is this risky or not? And it's all based on stuff that nobody knows about. Like nobody's told what are all the little data points of what works and what doesn't. So it's going to come back and say like the thumbs up, thumbs down. If it's thumbs down, you can do a manual underwrite where a human is going to take a deeper look at this and see, can we check off all the boxes that this is going to be less risky for us? But there's still a level of risk because the economy on the secondary market really likes when the computer software gives a thumbs up because it checks so many different things. Uh, So when the the loan is more risky because we have to use things like these additional trade lines, uh, we're kind of veering off the path of a more traditionally approved mortgage, you're going to pay a higher interest rate because that loan is more risky. So it's something to be mindful of. I think being debt free is great, but you can also have an incredible credit score without paying a dime in interest. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so I don't understand why we would try to throw away a credit score when it actually will cost us more money on something like a mortgage. It's very easy to have a credit card, just assign it to gas and one credit card assigned to groceries and I pay those off every month. And it can help you maintain a 700 plus credit score without paying a single dime in interest.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I was that exact scenario that you described when I went to go look at buying and I was 19. I had no auto loan. I had no student loans. I had one credit card that I think I might've had for like a year or a year and a half. And they were like, we don't know. And it was great. I mean, I ended up, I the loan officer that I'd worked with at the time, and uh, we can chat about this in a later one, but um, had mentioned that like most people are looking to either buy or refinance within the first three to five years. So by that time, if I was looking to do that, I would have a much more established credit history. I was really happy with it. It was barely more than rent. But again, this was 2010. It's a very different market. And it was kind of a lovely, it's a lovely time to be building equity in a house. So any other kind of wisdom or parting thoughts on credit? Because I feel like this was a very thorough episode because Most people, I think, think that they have to have high credit scores by 720, 740 plus. And I think that this kind of debunked some of that, that you can get started sooner, even if it's a little bit more expensive interest rate wise, or even if you haven't finished paying your debt off because you can potentially be getting a home and capturing some of that appreciation rather than waiting and delaying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can get started way earlier, I think, than a lot of people realize. You do not have to have perfect credit because – for a lot of people, and this has been true of a lot of my clients, is I've worked with clients, I'm down to a 514 credit score to mid 600s, and they wanted to wait. And they were so glad that they actually moved forward with buying a house, built up their credit score, qualified for an even cheaper loan because the house value went up so much. The one last thing I would say, and this isn't directly related to credit, but happens, I think, a lot of around these credit conversations, debt, uh, and just money in general, especially kind of going with like the shoulds and the shame. Is that what I've realized has been helpful. I've kind of made the switch recently is I stopped talking about money with people, (laughs) like especially kind of being in the entrepreneur world. I have a lot of entrepreneur friends and it's amazing how bad I'll feel after a phone call with a friend of mine. And we're, you know, we're talking about numbers and stuff, but it's like, no matter what happens, there's a level of that shame that kind of kicks in. And ultimately it's usually not helpful to have these conversations about exactly where you're at with somebody who's like friends or family because it often can come with bad advice um or it can introduce these elements of like shame or you should be doing this or, or whatever i think we can talk around the concepts of money without talking about our own financial situation and what i found for me and i think for a lot of people is that when we stop oversharing i think some of the finance stuff with people who may not be experienced enough to be able to help us actually walk through something uh It can help give you a lot more freedom. So save those conversations for people who actually have valuable things to say and have a track record of that before we expose ourselves to uh, hearing the advice that maybe isn't super solid from them.
0: I could not agree more. And that's something that I've implemented in my life a lot where I'm going to pay an expert or talk with an expert in the area that I'm looking to make a decision in if I feel the need to or I'm not educated. And then I will form my own opinions, my own decisions, decide what's right for me, Mm -hmm. and then maybe notify the people around me or, you know, if that needs to be done. But I think that so often we look for external validation and thoughts that can muddy our internal mental waters.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Kyle, thank you. Next episode, we're going to be talking all about different types of loans and diving really deep into those. So we'll chat with you all soon. If you loved this episode, make sure to leave a five-star review for a chance to win a free financial strategy session with yours truly, Caitlin Magnuson. We do the drawing the first week of every month and to be eligible, you'll want to leave a five-star review and include your IG handle so we can contact the winner. I'll see you next time where we'll chat real finances for real people.